Hi, welcome to a special supplementary episode of the Imaginally True Change podcast with Prashant Goel. With my guest, Nita Baum, in episode five, you may remember that we decided that we were going to do a special series on the values of Be Free, that we thought that that could be a fun exploration, especially because they are values that speak to all of us and important aspects of a well-lived life, of a fulfilling life and profession, for sure. And so Nita and I decided to make it happen. And today we're going to speak about the first value of be free. And, and this is how it's defined in Nita's official text on her site and other materials and how, more importantly, how she articulates it to herself and others. And it states, we are free to discover, create, and contribute the work that feels most aligned to who we are from the inside out. And what I love about that we'll get into today, but I can just start by saying there's so many times where Nita and I have convergence in our work because one of the main things I state about the work about imaginally is that we're looking to align what we do with who we are. And so this is just an awesome place to do a special exploratory, experimental episode of our podcast and with none other than my dear friend, Nita Baum. So Nitz, awesome to have you back again and awesome to have this series of five values talks lined up. And uh, maybe maybe you could just offer us some opening remarks about, about the value of being free. Um, thanks, Prashant. It's a privilege and an honor and something I've been looking forward to and we're going to have fun as we always do. So thank you. Um, I, uh, and thank you too, to our listeners. <laughs> um, so we are free is one way that I think about this value. And it's interesting. I call them values, but also just as a framing point, I like to think of them as presumptions you know, another way to think about it is we begin free, we come free. We are that innately already. And it's not a matter of someone handing us our freedom. It's just a matter of uncovering and discovering the freedom that is us and is our lived experience. Um, and this one really, you know, I have to say, like, I, I always, I like to think of be free as a vehicle. Um, like we receive from the people, the individuals and the communities that we interact with and we do a little processing and then we give back or we, you know, put back out into the world what it is we've received. So this value very much arose in that fashion, as did all of them. Um, from the many beautiful people I've had the privilege and opportunity to interact with over the years who are in search of their own liberation. Um, 
And so to speak about it, you know, and a couple of the points just to underscore a couple of things about it that are, are key. Um, or one is in order to reflect on ourselves from the inside out, I think it's, there's this, like, what does that mean? Or how do you do that? You do that in relationship to yourself. And that's big because that is part of the paradigm shift um, that I think many people are seeking. It's, it's not just about your relationship to what's outside of you, but it's actually about your relationship to you. You could think of that as a starting point, you know, in the circle of our relationships to the world around us. And, and when I think about being free, I also think a lot about, you know, I, I really like the way you framed it at the beginning of this conversation and imagine always take on it, which is about, you know, the idea of being who you really are. Um, that's the idea of encountering yourself as you are to actually really see who you are, to actually embrace that self. Like part of what this value is about is in an ultimate sense is about self-acceptance, self-acknowledgement, self-love. Well, thank you for getting us started. I feel <laughs> like already I'm like hungry for what this conversation is going to bring. You know? <laughs> And I can, I want to offer a few points uh, because you're talking about our relationship to ourselves much more than the relationship to the outside. And, and, you know, what I think one of, I would even go so far as to say one of history's best examples, although it's just one man who wrote a really telling, meaningful book, which is, um, which is Viktor Frankl and his experience in the concentration camps, you know? Mm -hmm. And he really, really was such a shining example of how freedom is an inward capacity. Mm -hmm. And that regardless, he, he was in the worst circumstances imaginable mm -hmm. in a concentration camp. People were dying all around him. It was horrific. And yet, he found a way to relate to it in a very healthy way, you know, in a way that he was inspired to give to others and that that would be a learning experience that he could share, you know, and that he had a vision about that. Mm -hmm. And so how he found that freedom and, and same with Henry David Thoreau in, in civil disobedience, you know, when he was in jail, he was like, he's like, these people are fools. If they think putting my body in a cell has anything to do with my freedom, mm -hmm. you know? Mm -hmm. And so, so if we acknowledge that, because there's so many times that our outward circumstances do feel limiting in legitimate ways, you know, mm -hmm. but that that choice and, and what is freedom other than at its essence, it's about choice, you know? And so to exercise that choice relative to what, however circumstances show up and, you know, and it's so often that we seem to be looking to get our circumstances in a way that they're just so, so that then we can feel free or then we can feel content. But 
that can be a really long battle. And why not enjoy practicing it that now, you know, like we are what we practice, right? So, so excuse me. So it seems natural that if you keep practicing that freedom is somewhere else in the future, then it's going to remain that way, you know, but, and it might even be a path, you know, to liberation. And that's how I experience it myself, but I've got nothing else but this moment to work with it, you know? Mm-hmm. And actually I just pause there, because that's already a mouthful. <laughs> yeah. Wow. I love that you brought up Victor Frankl. That's so great. And um, I, you also, oh, you touched on a number of really awesome <laughs> ideas um, so rich. Um, the last, among the last points you made about the idea of sort of freedom as being conditional or contingent upon, you know, something other than me, something outside of me, a future moment in time, a place I might get to. Um, whereas, it's really interesting the idea that like maybe freedom is nothing other than you in this moment. <laughs> you know, that thought is like it gets me stoked and excited to think about it in those terms. Um and I I really I the idea of imprisonment um really resonates. I, I the past couple of years I've attended the Equal Justice Initiative Benefit, which is a nonprofit founded by Brian Stevenson. Um, the central mission of which is to liberate uh, people on death row who've been wrongly convicted and accused. Um, and it's profound to hear their stories directly from them. Uh, people who've been exonerated, you know, in some cases, incarcerated for 30 years, 35, or even 50, you know, starting at age 15 and coming out at 65. And there is a resounding consistency in the beauty and poetry of what they share and their stories. And it is exactly what you said. And exactly, you know, that it's like (laughs) the conditions of my existence don't, they're almost irrelevant and have like nothing to do with my actual freedom. My freedom lies within my mind, within my body, within my own spirit, within my perspective. Um, And so, you know, going back to that initial point about freedom being contingent upon, like, as you said, these are, these are folks in super extreme circumstances by, by most measures. Um, And they all go (laughs) where they all find liberation is within Awesome. So let's let's continue to another theme that connects to this freedom. Because I think we did I think we nailed that one. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Oh, man. It's fun doing this with breads. Um, so <laughs> So what you said earlier, I want to return to one of the things I want to pick up on something you said earlier, which is What if it's also just about being able to be ourselves? It's so often that we hear this idea, like, be yourself. It it seems a whole lot easier said than done a lot of times. And oftentimes, 
we have this confusion of ideas. It almost seems like sometimes it's we're in a certain situation, and I wish I could come up with a good example right now, but not, nothing's arriving. But it's we're in a certain situation, and we have a couple of choices, and we can see that there's a great opportunity in either of these choices. And and it's almost we battle internally with which one of these is the right choice. Mm-hmm. And in that idea, what is right and what is wrong, it's almost we lose the fact that it's a choice and we get to say, which path do we want to take here? How limiting. I know when I'm, it's, I'm not a stranger to indecision at all. I feel it frequently, I would say. And I would say that in those moments, how limiting it is to see the reason I'm getting hung up is what's right or wrong. I'm reading a book right now called Getting Real, and it's about communication and it's about honesty. And one of the things she says is, freedom is just another word for having nothing left to hide. Mm. And what's interesting is I've, as I've been practicing the principles in this book, this book is incredible. Susan Campbell, if you're out there listening, you're going to be a guest on this podcast <laughs> one day. Um, <laughs> Um, seed planting. I love it. (laughs) Seed planting. It's amazing because what I find is that there's so much avoidant behavior. There's so much fear and defensiveness around just sharing what my truth is in any given moment because of what I perceive the responses may be or my own sensitive shame points or not that those are mutually exclusive. All these reasons I have to not say my honest truth in a given moment. And man, as I start practicing just saying what's happening, all the assumptions I have about what like what the judgments people will have, my own internal judgments, et cetera, they just fade away. I just say what, what's happening mm-hmm. and I'm free. And I realize, well, those are just layers and layers of conditioning that are basically amount to fear that I my own self is not good enough, that what my real experience, real thoughts and feelings at any given moment are, are not good enough. I can't put them forward. And so freedom really is, can I just say authentically, honestly, vulnerably, transparently, what's going on with me in any given moment, including some of the stuff that comes from my lesser self Mm -hmm. and say, you know what, I'm a little nervous about that, or I'm fearful about that. Or whatever, including my higher self, because oftentimes I have shame about things that I think are people don't even want to hear the best in me. It's not even necessarily the best or the worst, the, the whole spectrum, you know? And, and so can we even be truthful? Can we even recognize the truth shall set us free as well? I'm continuing to riff yeah, here, Meets. Go it. where you want no, to take I, it. I love yeah. it. Well, it's so um, powerful and beautiful. And I always appreciate when you. Um, get specific as you tap into like, Mm -hmm. uh, you know, both what occurred, what sort of I experienced as I was listening to you as both self-reflection and also sort of um, perspective that's based on observation of people's behavior. That's just like part of your gift and um, your expertise. And it's such a pleasure to be able to listen to you. Um, reflect on that and share it it's really cool so uh and and what it what you said (laughs) thank you um it's very generous um so what you said brings me back to uh something else you said earlier in the conversation 
which is about the idea of like, what do we put into practice, right? Like practicing, practicing freedom, practicing the idea that we are free, right? Versus practicing something that reinforces a different notion and, or an opposing view. Um, and so it's interesting. Like I, as I was listening to you, there's sort of like three words slash ideas that arose. So one was the practice. The other was the word knowing. And, mm. and then the other was the idea of uh, looking back to the value. It says, you know, contribute the work that feels most aligned to who we are. And so feeling as associated with the heart um, versus the head you know, and, uh, and it's versus in the sense of, I like to think of things in terms of not exclusion, but as transcendence. <laughs> um, uh, someone, uh, um, a woman named Dara Blumenthal, who I had a conversation with recently, is a very gifted woman, and um, she's a leader in an organization called uh, Live Gray, <laughs> that's doing some really interesting work uh, to evolve the world of work in San Francisco. But um, at some point in our conversation, she, asked, she said to me, I was talking about the idea of collapsing dichotomies. Um, and so, you know, if you think of head and heart as a dichotomy and she was like, have you heard of the phrase transcend and include? And I was like, ah, that's mm. probably a more accurate representation. And so not that we don't need the head, or that it doesn't serve its purpose, right? But it's like, um, how do you think of adding the heart? And how do you think of which one takes primacy in a given moment? And, you know, and how much our default programming is to rely on one versus the other? And what does it feel like when we bring in the one we rely on less? So to swing back around and kind of tie that all together, it is a practice, right? Like, these values in many senses are both what I feel like we come as, but they're also in order to live them, we practice them just like we practice living life as a practice. Um, and the knowing the kind of knowing that I'm talking about, it's a, it's a practice of what you were describing, you know, that process of, of decision-making of, observing yourself make the distinction between right and wrong, you know, um, and the judgments that they, you know, approaching things from a judgment-based perspective, like where is the actual truthful knowing in that process? And I think for me, some of this is about a practice of knowing, knowing, knowing the self, like knowing the actual self, right? Which is about becoming in dialogue with yourself in a way. And even the act, if you think about what you said about communication, even the act of communicating with yourself, right? Like coming into dialogue with yourself is the same thing as saying communicating with yourself, which is to say like actually talking to yourself honestly about where you are and seeing where your own dishonesty or your own judgment arises such that, you know, it adds some muck to the conversation <laughs> that makes it more difficult to actually <laughs> listen or receive. And I think of knowing as being iterative with feeling and with the heart. Um, and, you know, this kind of inner knowing, like this, this knowing that arises from 
again, from the inside out as opposed to from the outside in, you know? Um, so that was a little bit of, that was a little bit of a thing as well. But I think to kind of summarize it, I've used this metaphor before, but, you know, acceptance of the parts of myself that are more challenging to me, it, it feels like I meet myself on my own battlefield and I see myself like holy, you know, I see both the sucky parts and the things I'd like to change and the parts of me that don't, don't feel particularly virtuous. And then I also see the ones that feel like, all right, those are cool. They're good. They're valuable. Um, and it's a practice of like not turning away from one or the other and also not necessarily overvaluing either one. Like how do I embrace all of Mika, all of, all of that. Right. And I think, how do I see her? How do I, that's also where I think the heart comes in. I don't think the heart is that big on rejecting. You know what I'm saying? Like, <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely. I feel like the heart's primary quality is acceptance, in fact. And, and it's interesting because if we, if we recognize we're all human and we're like all going to have these more challenging aspects of ourselves, the parts that we could be inclined to dislike, you know, then the part in us that is like perfectionist is, is going to just continue to beat ourselves mm. up about that part, you know? And so it's almost like a, there's, there's a self betterment that insists on perfection and there's a self betterment that orients towards acceptance, you know? And, and it's like, there's so much greater relaxation, healing, learning, transformation, growth that happens in that latter form. But it, it entails a certain level of, of knowledge and understanding and orientation to begin with because the mind loves that trick of going towards the other type of self-betterment, you know? And what also comes in here, if you take words that are pretty common and well-known here in the world, like self-awareness, self-knowledge, self-respect, self-love, self-esteem, self-confidence, all these types of things. It's also like there's a self-confidence and self-esteem and a self-respect, et cetera, that is a lowercase s. And there's a self-esteem and a self-respect and a self-confidence, uh, et cetera, that is an uppercase s. You know, And that uppercase s, it's almost like oftentimes we lose our references for the fact that our center, that our heart uh, exists and that we can come back to that. And that that, like, if we want real self-confidence, there's no other way than if it's connected to the heart. It's like, if you want it, if you want to develop self-confidence or self-awareness based on just following the labyrinth of the mind, 
then that's going to be a path that unfolds like indefinitely and into an infinity. You know, it's like th- that self is needs to be the reference and it needs to be coming back to the center and it needs to, uh, it needs to start with moments of mindfulness and patience and calming down and breath and slowness, you know, and I'm just trying to give some pointers, you know, because we each have to understand what those things mean inside us, you know, but that's what, that's how my perspective is informed at this moment, you know, is, is to recognize what I used to think of self-aware was actually, was caught up Mm. in a lot of noise, actually, you know, and I would say there's still a fair amount of noise. I wouldn't say I'm like beyond that, you know, but there's a lot more moments where I'm just like, come back to my center, come back to my center. And I make it a practice as often as I can remember, you know, and then, and then practicing meditation and, and all, all sorts of other great practices that can support this, you know? And, and that's why some of those practices, you know, to pick up on this one theme that has been emerging among, uh, among us is so important, you know, but, but how intricately connected that feeling of freedom has to be the experience of presence yes. in this moment. Oh, this resonates, Prashant, and where um, what arose for me as you were talking was a lot about the idea of trust, you know, and so often, mm. I think we often go to the mind uh, because... You know, we think it's like, we think it's reliable for, we think it's this place that's going to, you know, reliably produce information that is um, replicable and that is based almost in these, like, like, if you almost think about the way the mind works, one of the ways, at least, it's like, you know, you're a kid, you have some events you process it, it makes an impression on you, that impression becomes a memory, that memory is stored somewhere perhaps within your body, and you use it the next time, you use, it, you use that memory to be predictive of a future outcome, and you go back to that memory and you say, well, if it went this way last time, it's going to go this way the next time. And part of why you need to do that, part of why we often feel like we need to do that is because we're afraid. We're afraid that if somehow we don't have a framework or we don't know what the outcome is going to be, everything's going to be terrible if we don't know, <laughs> you know, <laughs> and we're not going to be prepared. And also we just want to know, you know, we just want to know like now, um, And so that's like, for example, one pathway, right? And one, one way in which this idea of kind of relying on the mind becomes this pattern for us. And some of the practice, I think, of connecting to a sense of liberation, a sense of presence in the moment, which I think is a really beautiful 
description of liberation. There's like nothing between you and now. There's no time and there's no space and no fear or anxiety or worry. There's just you in the now. No separation. There's no separation between you and anything around you either. Right? Like that is Mm. a beautiful and essential form of freedom that I think of. Um, um, so I, might, I slightly lost my train of thought, but I know where I'm going. <laughs> um, the unknown. Yeah. So the, you know, the unknown is, uh, laden. The unknown totally. tried to make itself unknowable. <laughs> That's funny. <laughs> um, so in that shift, in that shift from, uh, wanting to control and know, um, what if instead of that you shift to like trust and maybe you don't even, if you, if you shift in some ultimate sense to trust, like there's not even an object of your trust. If you think about it, you know, that's, that's like one way to think about it. You don't, it's not even like I trust this or that or whatever. Right. Cause if you're outcomeless in a sense, there's nothing to trust. There's just trust. Um, all, there's all this like space around it, Whoa. you know? Um, yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah, please. I was going to say, just to pick up on yeah. what you just said, and, and you can continue from there, is um, a teaching I once received was, it's impossible to trust the universe, life, God, however you happen to see that, without trusting yourself, you know? And I was like, pretty struck by that teaching. I was like, okay. Okay, because it's like you say, wh- what is the object of that trust? It's that you're going to be okay. And where does that come from? Your own belief in your capacity to navigate whatever comes and that also whatever comes isn't somehow <laughs> deviously or inherently designed oh, no. to hurt you or be harmful, you know? That it, that it can also be for your greatest good if you're willing uh, you just hit to on practice where that I was going. Of course you did. Because <laughs> we're telling, yeah. we're telling this story together. <laughs> um, my fellow storyteller. It's, mm. it's, it's a shift from judgment to discovery. Right? It's like the judgment, mm. judgment presumes it's good or bad. And that's why there's even something to judge. You can put it in a box one way or the other. Discovery is open. Discovery is like, I may feel this way and I've been taught or conditioned to call this feeling pain, or I taught and conditioned myself to call this feeling pain. That's a judgment, right? And pain also in Western culture connotes like it's loaded. It's like a negative thing. That's a thing we don't want. Um, But there are so many possibilities in that whole process of naming and valuing an experience and an emotion that you have where there's opportunities to liberate like at every step you can set yourself free in any one of those moments and one of the ways you could set yourself free is by taking a discovery orientation to that thing you described as pain maybe you still call it pain but maybe it's not loaded with 
you know, the negative connotations. I love it, Neats, because I'm feeling, as I hear you speak, what I'm thinking is, is if you're creating a strong aversion to to what you perceive might be a painful experience or sort of an emotion you've once experienced that you're like, I never want to revisit that place again, you know, um, then what you're doing it seems to me is, and I, you know, I do this as much as anybody else, of course, is, um, is, is limiting the realm of experience that you're comfortable with, you know? And so when you're willing to reorient in how you, like how you understand and perceive and interpret what might otherwise be a painful experience as, oh, if I'm willing to face this, that means my trust in myself grows because mm-hmm. the repertoire of experiences that I'm capable of handling mm-hmm. expands, you know? And so the way to become a more expansive version of ourselves, which we're all longing for, is to embrace a wider, wider variety of experiences, including the ones that we traditionally consider negative. But if we drop the judgment, what you're speaking about, and I love that moving from judgment to discovery is like, what if I find out that I'm much stronger than I thought I was, you know, and oftentimes life will just put us there to, to prove that to us, you know, like you can handle that. It's only, it's only that limiting voice in the mind, which we oftentimes call fear that would suggest otherwise. And two, two points. The first one is. I love your frame about cutting yourself off from the potential, you know, pool volume of, of experience. Um, and the other way I think about it, that's in addition to your perspective is cutting yourself off from yourself, right? Like, <laughs> like there's a part, right. There's just a part of you, you. You could think of it and all, and it is kind of a violent act. We're violent toward ourselves in that way. You know, like we, we just, we reject parts of ourselves. Absolutely. We cut off yeah. parts of ourselves, literally. Like these, these metaphors are pretty legit because it, it act, and it actually kind of feels that way when we do it to ourselves. It's biting. Um, it's really different than turning toward ourselves and embracing that pain, which, which is again, like what I was saying earlier, when you make the shift to the heart, it's a lot easier because when you think about it, if you see a human in pain, Right. Like sometimes you want to turn away, but I would say for the most part, if, it, if you're being led by your heart, there's a very strong chance that you're going to want to turn toward that person in some form or fashion, even if it's just with your heart or your thoughts, all of which are really effective ways to embrace somebody. Sometimes it's with action. Um, and yeah, that's just, that's one point, but go ahead. And then I'll come back to my other one. <laughs> Yeah. Awesome. Awesome. I want to include, I mean, I'm feeling one thing here and I want to include another idea to offer a little bit of balance, you know, because there's this, you know, we've talked about this before and I've brought it up in other conversations that I've had on this podcast, Mm -hmm. which is this paradox of being and becoming, you know, and what's interesting is, um, is like for me, for example, 
I've had moments of, you know, when I was in India or the Amazon or just on my own couch meditating, um, where I experienced this really expansive freedom, you know, and like, whoa, you know, and, and it's very different Mm -hmm. than my everyday experience, you know? And so that offers me a North star. It's like, that is possible Mm -hmm. as my moment to moment lived experience. And I can realize that. And the way to realize that Mm -hmm. is to practice it, you know, but even in the practice of it, I must acknowledge that my experience isn't that, you know? And so it's interesting because the being in becoming, it's like, it would be easy to feed the becoming because the becoming is a path, right? It's like, I can't deny as far as I can tell my lived experience, the best of my understanding, that time is relevant, that time is going to help be part of the experience I have that leads me to that more expansive freedom. And and so that it's a path and there is a greater level of liberation that exists, but that I have to be in this moment and come back and come back and come back and come back and be disciplined about it and also acknowledge the challenge of it and sort of be in that paradox that it's it's a path but that path is about learning how to be on that path and how to just keep walking in each moment and so and and that to me somehow it, it's like so paradoxical because it implies a future you know and so I don't know, like people may struggle with that. And I want to say that there's, it's true also that there's a different level of experience of that freedom, you know? And mm-hmm. the way there is yeah, practicing right Yeah, I appreciate right that you yeah. raising that um, challenge or perspective or discomfort that I think a lot of us, <laughs> we all feel and experience and it's interesting as you were talking, like um, there were two things that came to mind. One, one of them, and they're both just like riffs, like I was riding your wave. So <laughs> um, one of them is that there's a way to understand and think about um, like both are happening at the same time, you know? it's this shift from like either or, or again, like two irreconcilable things can't occur, can't, you know, happen at the same time. I think they can. I've like super loved and been really angry at the same person in the same moment. (laughs) Sometimes that person is me. (laughs) Um, (laughs) um, You know, and, um, and so this idea that you're, if you think of, if, say, you're, you equate the becoming or the path and, you know, to the practice, to the idea of practice or to a word practice and the being, to the, it's like, that's cool. You can, you can be practicing, but you're also being in the same moment. Some of it is almost just like, where's your attention? You know, what are you focused on? Yeah. 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 The practice is the being. 
and that's in a way, I mean, to use your mm-hmm. word earlier is like the transcending clue or the collapsing exactly. is they yeah. the becoming the practicing. Is than, yeah. You could yeah. argue it's even not lesser yeah. than yeah. It's, it's all integral because there's no other way to get <laughs> where you're going. And there's actually nowhere else to go to your point, you know? So yeah. that was one thought that, that arose. And the other yeah. one is yeah. sometimes you just can't help <laughs> wax philosophical, which is maybe just like redundant. because like maybe that's what we've been doing. <laughs> um, <laughs> but uh, I was thinking, I've been thinking, you know, I've been talking to all of these really beautiful freelancers who are on their journeys of freedom. And it has been so inspiring and enlivening to hear them as they are in their own discovery process, you know, um, deciding what they want to create and contribute, like having these growing and deeper dialogues with themselves, like shedding, shedding self narratives, uh, that no longer are needed in their lives and that feel limiting to them. And I've learned a lot and I've been talking to a couple of them about um, two, two themes. One is the process of creating something and how much the process of creating something, like when you create your creation, it creates you back. Like it's this, it's a cycle, you know? And sometimes the way that I describe that is like, it's like birth. It is the, we're so conditioned and so oriented to believe like the mom pushes the baby out of the womb. You know, there's like pushing and driving. That's like how the life comes to be. Um, And that's one way to view it. And I think that's one part of the cycle. But the other one is also that, like the mother is not the mother, the father's not the father, the parent isn't the parent until the moment of the child's birth. So who's creating who in you, right? And it's like, it is the fact of the child arising that calls into being the parent as parent. And it is the fact of the child being a teenager that calls into being the parent to evolve into somebody who can be supportive of and in relationship to the teenager. And so in a sense, there's a cycle of creation. It's not just one direction, but there's a whole cycle. I create something and it creates me. And there's something about, I think that cycle that to me feels really liberating to acknowledge that like (laughs) liberating in the sense of like the whole burden is not on me. I'm getting created in the process too. I don't have to do it all alone. Um, that's one thought. And the other way that that's occurred to me, and this I'm definitely just riffing and flowing a bit, but like when you apply that, it's interesting, these reflections I've had on time and space, um, which are, are relevant to our desire to control and things related to like not being in the present moment, you know, and a future orientation. It's like the, in the very moment of our birth, what also arises with our arising is the certitude of our death. And so you could argue that both arise together, Mm. right? Like 
the ending and the beginning happen now. And mm -hmm. it's a really interesting thing because it sort of plays with the notion of time and space. It's like, you know, we think like I have 80 years or a hundred years. And so the end is far out and it's all the way there. And I'll wait till then to worry about freedom. You know, but if you think about it, we're like another way to view that idea is that we're living and dying at the exact same time, <laughs> you know, and like yeah. freedom, mm -hmm. experience, love, shadow, self, relationship, all of it, it is only now. And now, and now, and now. <laughs> and that now is ours for the taking. And that, my friend, is freedom. So I feel like, I mean, Nita and I, there have been days where I go into New York and we like literally talk for <laughs> every true. single waking moment, you know? <laughs> and so I have, I have no doubt that we could continue this conversation in, in many glorious ways. Uh, but uh, but I feel like that note that you just touched on the end was was wonderful, and you know I think we're this conversation's been interesting to me because we're just kind of like let's take a concept, an idea, a word, which also hints mm -hmm. at an experience, an ideal, a universal principle of humanity, you know. And let's just play with that. Let's just play with that and see what happens. And that's kind of what we've done here today. And I felt myself pretty passionate at certain moments. And um, and that was fun. And, and also always just like amazing to interact with you, Nita, and see how you're because, – because I see you in this place very clearly how – your creation is creating you, you know, and how be free is leading you to evolve. And, um, and it couldn't be otherwise because you're interacting and you're moving and shaking and pausing and reflecting and you're doing all these things and you're, you're with so many amazing people who are offering insights and perspectives. And so how could it, be anything other than a growth process, you know? And I think as much as anything else, when you refer to the other freelancers that you're relating to right now, I think this is the encouragement that maybe I would want to, to leave as one of the things with this conversation is, is that choice, is that freedom, is that more expansive state can actually be scary, you know? It can be easier to stay in a more limited place, in a more comfortable place where you know what's going to happen the next day or whatever. But 
part of freedom, and I would say one of maybe its greatest byproducts mm. and consequences, and like it's almost like inside it is growth, you know? And so when you exercise that freedom to create, and that creation starts creating you, and you start growing, and then your creation continues to evolve as well. And like, what a virtuous, amazing cycle, and what a beautiful thing to stand for. And and also the contribution that you're offering to others continues to expand, you know? And so to me, that freedom is each of us. And then like you're doing, sharing it with many others, many, many, many others, and, and that will continue to grow. And may each of them then create those same virtuous cycles in their lives. And so that this freedom can, can ripple outwards in an expanding cycle so that you know, the world that we all long for and can suspect exists continues, continues mm-hmm. to take shape, you know, and continues to realize before our very eyes. So thank you for the inspiration that you offer, Needs and such a clear example of, of what that looks like, you know, and that so many people are getting a chance to, to um, taste for themselves through your amazing work. That's a visceral and visual response to what you said, Jonathan. My ending note, which includes deep gratitude for playing in this play space we've created together, um, is... Uh, <laughs> May we all bask in the in the light of the illumination of our own freedom and each other's. May it be so. Jeho. <laughs> awesome. So that brings us to a close of today's supplementary episode of the True Change Podcast, my guest today has been Nita Baum, and she is launching uh, the first cohort of her program in the very near future. So if you're exploring how to be a freelancer um, or if you're already an established freelancer and want to deepen in your practice, uh, check out Be Free. And we're going to be here for once a week for the next four weeks doing these supplementary episodes. And if this first one is any indication, we've got some fun times ahead. So please, please stay tuned with us. And all the best to, to all you listening. And namaste to all of you. And namaste to you, Neats. Hmm.